Father, we uh, uh, look forward today to, uh, Lord, just seeing You work in that early church, knowing that the same God who worked in the lives of the apostles, who worked in the lives of the people, Lord, is the same God that's alive and working today. And Lord, we want to be people who are open and willing to allow you to use us in, in our generation. And so I pray that as we look at Barnabas and Saul and Paul and see what's going on in their lives, that that would encourage us maybe to step out of our comfort zone a little bit. Maybe to put ourselves out in, a, in an area that's just a little bit awkward for us and, and we would see and understand how great you are. So I do pray, God, again, you would bless this time and, and uh, Lord, that you would encourage us as we read your word, if we're in a place today where we're down and we're a little bit discouraged in our faith, I pray that as we read about your glorious work, that God, that would bring that encouragement to our souls. And we thank you, God, for being our God in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, a couple weeks ago when we left off, if you remember, uh, Paul and Barnabas had left uh, 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 Pisidian Antioch and now they're heading, and they're going, they're going like almost 90 miles on a journey to get uh, where they're going. And they left there because of stress, right? The church came against them, or I should say the, the uh, synagogue came against them, wanted them out of there. You remember they kicked the dust off their feet, and away they go. Now here's what we're going to see, and, and here's what I love as we watch the early church. We're going to see obstacles that come in our way when we try and get involved in what God is doing. Because the enemy doesn't want us serving him. He doesn't want us to be successful. So we're going to see the obstacles. We're going to see how to overcome those obstacles. And we're going to see that some of them come right at us, man. Just head on. And you kind of see those. When they're coming at you, you kind of see those. You know you can dodge those. But then there's those little secret weapons that kind of, they kind of sneak in and they're sort of stealth-like. And those are the dangerous ones. And as we watch Barnabas and, and, and Paul here uh, serving, we're going to see how they overcome those, and hopefully then that encourages us in our relationship with God, how to overcome obstacles, and especially in the world that we live in and reaching the world that we live in. I think we live in an exciting time. I know some people are really discouraged. They look at the world and they get kind of discouraged and they're going, oh, it's so horrible out there. I think it's an exciting time. I think it's a time that people are open. I think it's a time where if we put ourselves out there, we're going to find out that people want more truth than we ever realized. And, and we've got to take those steps. Hey, the time that Paul lived in wasn't such a great time either. You know, as I study the Bible, here's what I find out. There's never a really great time until Jesus comes back, right? So listen, man, we've got to learn from these guys, and hopefully it will encourage us. So verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue and of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of Greeks, believed. Now, I don't know about you guys. Remember, they came out of a bad situation. They go. Now they're in Iconian, which it still is, is part of that, of that area of Turkey. They're kind of up a little bit north now. They've gone a little bit southeast. And, and they go in, and what do they do? They do what Paul's pattern is. If there's a synagogue there, he goes to the synagogue. 
And here's what I love. Did you notice he so spoke that both Jews and Gentiles believed? So Paul goes in, and, and Luke doesn't give us tons of information about what he said. We know that he's preaching the gospel. But he spoke in such a way that he reached the hearts of the people who were listening. And so now you see a move of the Spirit. And here's what I know from, from my experience, man. When you know you're reaching people, you know you're affecting lives, you're kind of like this, woo, right? You're a little bit excited about what's happening, and that was to wake some of you up. But listen, man, and you get going, and you're all excited, and, and you're understanding, man, God is working in a great way. And then there kind of comes a danger, because that could affect you. And you might start thinking that you're making that happen. When it's not you making it happen, it's the Lord making it happen. So that's kind of one attack that, that isn't quite happening yet, but then they kind of get hit face on. In verse 2 it says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So now listen, they, there's an effective work going on, and one thing I found in, in ministry, whenever God begins to do something, the religious people are the ones who get the most upset. It's, it's not the world necessarily, it's the religious people. Because you're messing up the status quo, status quo, you're kind of getting in the way. So the religious people, but here's what upsets me about this. It says they so poisoned the, the minds of those and they, they turned them against Paul and Barnabas. They poisoned their minds. How did they do that? by gossip, by innuendos, by false accusations. They come in and, and I kind of hear this just rumor and mumbling and, and kind of murmuring. In, in the Old Testament, whenever it talked about the children of Israel and they would get upset, I, I love in the Old Testament as we go through that and it would say they were murmuring and complaining. And when I hear murmuring and complaining, when I read that, here's what I hear in my mind. And it's people just like, like, like just they're not happy and they're making everybody around them as unhappy as they can. They're trying to make others miserable. They're giving accusations, innuendos. They're saying things. They're gossiping. And the sad thing is the church, we kind of accept that. We kind of say, well, that's okay. Last time I read my Bible, that's a sin. And it's as great a sin as any other sin. But the murmuring goes on, and something I find when the murmuring's going on, and, and you kind of walk up, and especially if you're in leadership, you walk up and the murmuring's going on, and then as you walk up, it's like this. And it gets all quiet. You're going, what were you talking about? Nothing. We murmur and complain, but we don't talk to the people who could do anything about what we're murmuring and complaining about, and then because we just want to be unhappy. And we poison people's minds. Let's be careful. And let's make a covenant that we're not going to do that, right? As a fellowship, we're not going to get involved in something like that. So they poison their minds. They're against Paul. So now listen. Now Paul and Barnabas hit some opposition, some head-on opposition. What do they do? I love verse 3. It says, therefore, because that's going on, they stayed there a long time. I underline that in my Bible. I think that's phenomenal. Listen. They didn't quit. They go, okay, that's going to go on. We're going to dig in. We're going to stay there. And it says they stayed there speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So listen, instead of them giving up, it says they stayed there a long time. 
Now, some of the commentaries I read, the really, really smart people who can break things down and separate things and no original language and stuff, it's interesting to me, a lot of them said verse 3 should be before verse 2 and verse 2 should be after verse 3. And I'm thinking, really? Why did you come up with that? And here's what they're saying. They're saying they should have said, you know, as Jews are believing, therefore they stayed there, and then, and then the unbelieving Jews stirred up Gentiles. I don't think, listen, I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of order. Here's what I think is going on. As the opposition came, Paul and Barnabas therefore stayed there even longer. They could have left. They could have planted the church, got it going, and left. But because the opposition is there and people's minds are being poisoned, I think verse 3 is where it needs to be. Therefore, they stayed there preaching the word of the Lord boldly. In other words, it just encouraged them. It didn't discourage them. It encouraged them. And they kept going. And I love this when we read in the, in the book of Acts, how they do not give up, man. They're not going to quit. And what does it say? And then the Lord granted signs and wonders. Man, He granted, listen, as the Word of God goes forth, God does some amazing things in lives of people. And sometimes, listen, sometimes there's people, there's groups within Christianity that kind of, they want to focus everything on signs and wonders and they kind of look for them. And I think when you look for them, you can manufacture some and, and you can do this. But here's the thing. I think anytime the Word of God is going forth, there's signs and wonders happening. And I think a lot of us just don't recognize it. And I think sometimes we don't recognize it because if we recognized it and God did something miraculous through us, then we would get a big head and we would think we were all that. So it kind of happens. And, and listen, He does it and He doesn't even let us know that it's happening through us. Otherwise, we would want a badge. But signs and wonders, listen, God is moving in a mighty way in Iconium. Now here's what I'm thinking, man. Paul and Barnabas got to be way up here, right? Man, they got to be, yes, I love ministry. I love what's happening. I don't care what those guys are saying. We're going to go harder. And then the opposition gets a little bit stronger. Now, listen, now it gets a little confrontational. It's not just, listen, it's not just gossiping and innuendos. Now they're going to come directly at them. In verse 4 it says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And then it tells us in verse 5, And when a violent attempt was made, both by the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it, and they fled to Lystra, Lystra and Derby, the cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding region. So listen, man, here's what we see. Division happened. I want you to notice something as we go through the book of Acts, and I want you to even notice it as you read the Gospels, as you're reading through the Bible this year. Every time truth is laid out, division happens. You've got to understand that. Hey, when you lay the truth down, you've got to be on one side of it or the other, period. There's not an in-between. When you put it down there, it always causes division. Didn't Jesus even say, when you follow me, it's going to divide your family, even down to your family? Because when truth comes... Division happens, and it kind of bothers me when, when people get uptight and go, man, I don't know, and I say these things, and it sounds so divisive. Well, when you give the truth, it happens. What does it say here? The whole city was divided. 
Part of them were for the Jews and those against Paul. Part of them were for the apostles and for the truth. That's going to happen. And we need to understand that. And I always want to be on the side of truth. I don't want to be on the other side. I want to be on the side of truth. So when you speak the truth, it's going to draw a line. People are going to have to decide one way or the other. They're going to have to make a choice. And so these guys got angry enough. They came to Paul and Barnabas, and here's what they said. We're going to kill you. The nice way of saying it is we're going to stone you. But bottom line, they're saying, we want to kill you. And so Paul and Barnabas go, I think it's time to go now. Now, I don't think they were running, quote, for their lives. I think they know when it's time to go. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 10, when, when Jesus sent his disciples up out and talked to them, he said, when you were persecuted in one place, flee to another you go to another's, listen, and they're just going to another place. They didn't quit. They didn't give up ministry. Actually, they only went, you know, maybe 25, 30 miles, and, they, you know, they're kind of going south now, and they went to Lystra and Derby, a part of, of uh, Lyconia, and they end up in that region, and what did they do in that region? Look at verse 7, and they were preaching the gospel there. You see, it didn't deter them. It just move them and sometimes the lord has to do that just to move us along some of us we would never get out and do anything if he didn't put you know something in our way that's going to cause us to move and get going and so listen i think they were done there in in uh, iconium and god says you're done and maybe they were maybe they were kind of getting settled in who knows right maybe they were like oh this is kind of comfortable and god says oh yeah you're not gonna be comfortable for long and he moves them to Lystra and Derby, And what are they doing? Preaching the gospel. They went from one place to another place to another place preaching the gospel. Now, in Lystra and Derby, which we're still in that area, remember, we're in the area of Galatia. Remember I've said when we kind of moved into this area? Hey, and for homework, read, read the letter to the Galatians. Read the book of Galatians for homework. It's only like five chapters, right? You could read that in a week. Yeah? Someone laughed. Good, thank you. <laughs> hey, just read it. Just read. And you know what? Even for homework, I'm going to tell you a little later on. Even for homework, read the book of 2 Corinthians too because a lot of what Paul talks about there, especially in chapters 10, 11, and 12, is kind of going on here. So kind of get it together and see what's happening. But listen, th this area was a hard area. It wasn't an easy area to minister in. It wasn't an area where, where listen, they accepted things, but they were such a fickle people. And they were a people who, man, they were so unstable in the things they did. They would go this way for a while, and then they would go this way for a while, and then they would go this way for a while. You know, kind of like America. You know, you just kind of go with the flow, and whatever's happening, yeah, I like this side, and then I'm over here. And, and no stability. So listen, Paul's there, and he begins to preach the gospel now in Lystra and Derby as he's sharing the gospel. Look at verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now the interesting thing to me about verse 8 is Dr. Luke, remember the person writing the book of Acts is a medical doctor. He's Luke. Notice that Luke lets us know in three different ways that this guy is definitely crippled, right? Notice first he says he doesn't have strength in his feet. Then he says he was crippled from his mother's womb. And then he tells us he had never walked. He wants to make sure we understand this guy wasn't faking it, right? 
This wasn't a setup. You know, sometimes you, you watch programs and stuff and some people kind of have the guy set up there. Luke wants us to know, no, this was really a crippled guy. And he was completely crippled. This guy had never, ever walked. Now imagine that. Now we don't know how old he is. It doesn't give us an age. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking he's at least in his 30s. And he's there and he's listening to Paul. Now here's what I find interesting. He's not begging, not asking for alms. Remember when Peter healed the crippled guy? The crippled guy was asking for alms. This guy's not asking for anything. He's just there and he's listening. Paul's sharing the gospel. And you know, when we put ourselves in a position and we begin to share the truth of the word of God, I believe other doors open up for us for ministry. And now Paul is sharing the gospel. And then it tells us that Paul looked at him. Verse 9, this man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Listen, this sort of blows my mind. Now, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of the move of the Spirit here in this situation. In so many different ways, we see the move of the Spirit in the man's life, right? Because he's looking at Paul. He's got the faith. Paul says, I know this guy has that gift of faith, right? When you think about the spiritual gifts in Corinthians and, and in Romans, he's got the gift of faith. He's got the faith to be healed. Paul sees that now, how does Paul see that? I don't think he had something on his forehead. I have the faith to be healed. How did Paul see that? How did Paul understand that this guy at that moment had the faith to be healed? Yeah. Word of knowledge, huh? Holy Spirit working in Paul's life, revealing that to Paul. And listen, I think that's why you and I, we need to be open to the gifts of the Spirit. And we need to be open to the Lord leading us in situations and being in specific situations where maybe He wants to do something. And I think we let miss a lot of opportunity for ministry and seeing God do amazing things because we're closed off to it. We're so busy. We're so busy looking at our phones that it's ridiculous. That, you know, I, I, <laughs> my wife, I'm guilty of that. So listen, we've got to be open to what the Spirit does. It, does it amaze you anymore when you're sitting around how many people never look up? Everybody's doing this now. We're always looking at our phones. We're not looking at each other. I'm, I'm waiting. I think some of us are waiting for God to send us a text. Heal that person next to you. I don't know what we're looking for. But listen, Paul sees, Paul's sensitive to the Spirit. He sees an opportunity here, and he knows that the Lord has done that. Have you ever been in a situation where you know the Lord is telling you? I think most of us are saying, no. I've never been. I remember one time, it was years ago, it was, I had only been saved a little while, and I was in a situation, it was at the county fair, I was down in Douglas at the fairgrounds, and there was a person in the wheelchair going by me, and I just, man, I had this impression, I needed to go pray for them. I didn't do it. I got to tell you, I just, I just like, you're crazy, God, I'm not going to do that, right? Because sometimes you think that, but I wonder if I missed an opportunity. You know, and here Paul looks at this guy. He says, man, I know this guy has it. And then I love, listen, I love what he says in verse 10. And he said with a loud voice. Notice he didn't whisper it because a lot of us, if we feel like God is going to use us in that situation, we're going to whisper it just in case we didn't hear right, right? Paul kind of let everybody know this. He said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. Now that, that is boldness, right? The guy has never walked. He's never stood up, ever. 
Paul stand up, and what does it say? I love this. And he leaped and he walked. Listen, the guy didn't just stand up. He's jumping around, right? He is one excited guy that he's been healed, and God healed him. Now, that's great, right? Listen, how did it all start? We've got to go back to the beginning. How did it start? Sharing the Word of God. I don't think miracles save people in that sense. I think God does miracles to confirm His Word, to confirm what's going on, not, not the, the, the very substance of the thing that reaches them. The substance of the thing that changes lives is the Word of God. And Paul's given the Word of God, and so, man, this miraculous thing happens. Now, there had to be a whole bunch of joy. Listen, at this moment, before we read on, man, people have to be a little bit excited. Now, we're going to read, these people got excited the wrong way. Now, I, I, I remember one of my favorite stories about Pastor Chuck Smith is he tells a story where after church one time he's up front to pray with people and these people brought a person up in a wheelchair and he said, Pastor Chuck, would you pray for my dad? I think the, the person who brought him in, Chuck, said, sure. And he prayed for the guy to get up out of the wheelchair. And the guy got up out of the wheelchair and started walking and the son or daughter, whoever brought the person, starts bawling their eyes out. And Chuck says, what's the matter? And they said, we just wanted you to pray for his cold. <laughs> and, and listen, and, and, then, and, then, and then Chuck's son was, at, uh, you know, was with his dad, and he goes, Dad, how come you don't do that every time when people come up in wheelchairs? And he says, because the healing is the sovereign work of God. Listen, not everybody's healed in, this, in, in the book of Acts. Not everybody's healed when Jesus is walking. He doesn't heal every single person. And we need to understand that gift of healing is a manifestation of the Spirit in our lives. It's not something, I don't believe we possess the gift of healing. Some people tell me they do. When they tell me that, I say, then you need to go to a hospital. And you need to, need to empty it right now. Listen, I think it's a, it's a, it's a manifestation of the Spirit at a certain point. And Biblically or currently, not every single person is healed every single time. So here we see this God confirming the gospel by healing this guy. Now things go a little bit sideways. Here's where it gets crazy, and this is where, again, the miraculous can get dangerous because it's dealing with emotion. Look at verse 11. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices in the Lyconian language. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Now that sounds, that sounds absolutely crazy to us, doesn't it? Sounds a little weird, right? We've got to get a little bit of the backstory here. It's an interesting story uh, of what was going on in this area of Lyconia. For centuries they had this, this uh, fable, and even one poet right before this, about 50 years prior to this, even wrote a poem about it. And it was about a thing that Zeus and Hermes came down and they, he, they visited this area of Lyconia. Now, you guys got to understand, this is a fable. Don't get caught up in the story. Right? Think, wow. So they came, and when they came, they disguised themselves as humans. And they went through this whole area, and all of the population rejected them and ignored them and wouldn't show them any hospitality except one elderly couple. They were paupers. They were poor, poor people. And they took him in, and they fed them. So Zeus and Hermes, according to the, to the fable, destroyed the entire population except that elderly couple. 
Their name was Philemon and Bassus. And listen, after they died, they said then the, the gods made them two big trees in front of the temple to guard it. So that's where it gets, that's where it gets really crazy. But here's the thing. That fable was there. Now these people see Paul and Barnabas do something. Here's what they're thinking. We're not going to miss the gods again, right? Right? We, maybe it's the gods came down again. So they're, they're like, now do you get why the people did this? Because you kind of just read this and go, where on earth does that come from? So it comes from the fable. So they don't want to miss out again. They don't want to get wiped out again. So now they're excited. Listen, they're excited. And they, they say, man, gods have come to us in the likeness of men. Verse 12 says, Barnabas they called Zeus. And Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So Zeus was, listen, and I think, I think Paul was, I think Barnabas was a little greater stature than Paul. I don't know, you know, it's, it, we only have one description of Paul. And I don't know whether it's accurate or not because it's not very flattering. The person who wrote it wrote about, uh, it was about a hundred years after the fact. And it's recorded that, that Paul was uh, kind of a short guy, bull-legged had a unibrow, a unibrow, like, like a mustache on his, on his forehead, right? It just all grew together. Some old guys get that, you know, and there's nothing in between. And, and he had that whole thing going on, a big nose. You guys like that? And so listen, and then they said, then they said man, he was just like not good to look at. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, someone writing that about... He's just not good to look at. And then they said, but when he spoke, it was like he turned into an angel. Mm. So these guys, hey, they heard him speak. They said, you're the speaker god, God, and we'll, we'll make Barney the, the Zeus god, right? So they're looking at him. They're celebrating. Now, here's the thing. It says, when they came down and they're getting excited, they spoke in the Lyconian language. Paul and Barnabas didn't speak the Lyconian language. So here's what I think is going on. They're not sure what's happening. I mean, the crowd's coming. They're excited. They're, you know, quote, babbling, right? When you're in a country, you don't speak the language, and people are all around you doing stuff. You don't know what they're saying. So I'm not real sure they knew what was going on up to this point. But what a danger, huh? What a danger for people to come and begin to call you God. I think there's some people in ministry who would accept that, who would take that. Some people who would want to be recognized with that much authority and that much power, and they would want to rob the glory from God who deserves the glory. What a danger. I think, here's my opinion, I think this is the biggest test and persecution Paul and Barnabas faced on their entire trip. This is it, man. This is going to make or break them, period. They're either going to, hey, they're in a secluded area. Wouldn't it be kind of easy to go, well, let's go along for a little bit, man. Like, it would be cool to be God for a day, right? And we could kind of do this. Think of the temptations going on in their hearts right now as they're trying to deal with this situation. So listen, they're, they're, they're doing it, and then I think they finally figured it out. In verse 13, it says, Then the priest of Zeus whose temple was in front of their city. Again, that's a temple that had the two big trees in front of it. Brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now, listen, now, boom, they understand what's going on. And it freaks them out, and it freaks them out in a good way. They're not going to receive that glory. They're not going to allow the pride to sneak in, which is a tough one, right? 
Man, you got to listen. You got to be somebody. You got to be strong to stand against pride. And I think that's in all of our lives. Those of us who are up front, more so. But I think all of us, man, when people come in, all of us want people to say nice things about us. I don't know anybody that wants people to come up and say, I hate you, you stink. We want people to like us, don't we? Generally, we want people to like us. And the more people like us and the nicer things they say, the better we feel. And you can listen, there's a trap you can fall into, especially when somebody wants to elevate you to a position you really don't deserve. And it's tough. It's tough, especially in ministry. And check this out. We're all involved in ministry, one way or another. And it is hard to reject that. And and I look at Paul and Barnabas, and I think, man, they have it together. You know, about a month ago, I ran across this saying by by Spurgeon, and I put it on on our pulpit for me to read every time I get up here. Let me read it to you. It says, far better for a man that he had never been born than that he should degrade the pulpit into a showbox to exhibit himself. Wow, Spurgeon, huh? That's not gospel. Somebody, my wife told me, you know, that's not the Bible, that's Spurgeon. And I go, yeah, I know, but it's pretty profound. Listen, man, and Paul and Barnabas have that opportunity. They've got to fight that. They've got to come against that. And that's the hard one, man. That's where you really need, I believe, the shield of faith greater than when someone's throwing stuff at you. And so listen what they do. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitude crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? Now you've got to love it, man. They're ripping their clothes as as though they're mourning and they're running in. And here's what they're saying. Are you guys out of your mind? What is the matter with you? Man, that's, listen, that's hitting this head on, right? And that's the only way you're going to beat pride is you've got to hit it head on. And you've got to not believe what people are saying to you or about you when it's good. And oftentimes you don't need to believe it when it's bad. But listen, more so when it's good, they're running in and they're saying, they're saying listen, what are you guys thinking, right? And then we also are men with the same nature as you. Listen, we're just like you. But here's the kicker. And we preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Man, listen, Paul doesn't, Paul's talking to Greeks here. He's not talking to, he's talking to Gentiles. He's not talking to Jews. They don't know the Bible. They don't know anything about the Bible. So how does he approach them? Nature. Right? Look around you. Listen, Paul says, the one who created the heaven and earth, look around. He is the only God. I love that, man. I love the idea that he's pointing them to that. You've got to check out for homework. Read Romans chapter 1, but especially 16 through 20, as, as, as Paul lays out there how God made it clear through nature who he is. But we chose to worship the, cre- uh, the creature or the creation rather than the creator. And that's what Paul's saying here. Listen, turn from these useless things. Don't you like that? Turn from these useless things. They're worshiping him. Turn from these useless things, he says, and to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in them. You know, I think one of the most damaging things to the gospel is evolution. I believe, listen, I believe, man, that's been, that's been one of the great, great 
wrecks of the gospel, if you will. And we've got to combat that. We've got to come against. God made everything. And then he says, listen, then he says, but that God, did you notice that in verse 16? Who, in past generations, God let all the nations go their own way except one, right? We know the story, right? He let everyone go their own way except Israel. He chose Israel. He pulled them out. He made them a nation. He separated them to be a light. But all the other nations in past generations are going their own way. Here's what Paul's declaring. That's going to stop right now because right now I'm going to declare to you the one true living God in Jesus Christ. So they went their own way. Nevertheless, verse 17, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Listen, God is the one who provides for us, right? Even though, hey, you may have a job, you may go buy the seven, etc., God is still the provider. He's the one that does that. Paul lays that out. And then, listen, it affected those guys. Verse 18, And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to him. Now everybody's running up to him, man. Everybody wants to, everybody even wants to get closer. It's kind of crazy, right? Paul and Barnabas are trying to push them to God, and now they're coming at them. And Luke kind of leaves it there because, listen, then he tells us in verse 19, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. Now listen, the Jews from Antioch, they've traveled about almost 100 miles. That's how mad they are. And they show up there and it says, listen, and they came. Now I don't know how long all this other stuff was going on, but now these guys show up and listen, having persuaded the multitude in the middle of verse 9, 19, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Wow, is that crazy? Hey, one verse they're worshiping him, the next verse they're killing him. That's a fickle people, isn't it? That's people who are swayed by emotion and etc. That is America. It's crazy. I'm thinking it's just crazy. And so listen, now they, they stoned Paul and I believe... There's a big debate there. Did Paul die or didn't he die? I believe he died. I'm on that camp. And some say, no, he didn't die all the way. He was just mostly dead because they watched Princess Bride. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I just think, I think he died. Now, now, those who argue that he didn't die, they use this last part of the verse here. They say they dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. So they're saying, well, they supposed him. Well, maybe they supposed him, but he still might have been dead, right? I think Paul died. And I think this is where Paul wrote that part in Corinthians. Where he says, I know a man three years ago, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But he was caught up to the third heaven. And then Paul explained that experience. He had, quote, I don't think he had a near-death experience. I think he had a an experience where he went to heaven. Now here's the thing. I wish people who write books on heaven would read that. Because Paul says, I saw things that are inexpressible. And whether it's, I can't talk about it. It's not going to happen. So the only person besides Jesus who I definitely know went to heaven and came back is Paul. And he said he's not going to talk about it. So I've got to be honest with you guys. I don't read those other books. Well, I do read them sometimes because people bring them to me and want me to read them, and I, and I have to evaluate them, and I tell them what I think, and then I'm, they're mad at me, but it's a whole different story. But listen, listen, I think, now, here's why I think, here's why I think he was dead, dead. They stoned him. 
Listen, stoning people, we've talked about it before, stoning people, you didn't just throw like little rocks like when you had rock fights as a kid. And I know we went through this whole thing before. A lot of you never had rock fights as kids. I don't know where you grew up. I don't know why you didn't have rock fights as kids. Every kid where I was in Bisbee, you had rock fights. And that's just what you did. You used garbage can lids for a shield, right? You got the old metal ones, you had your shield, and you had your rocks. And you just went for it, man. Yeah, and hey, that's what you did. Well, those are little rocks. When they hit you, they hurt, but they don't kill you. When they stoned people, they used, they used rocks like this. And not only, listen, they didn't just hit them with the rocks, then they piled the rocks on top of them. That's why I think, it says they stoned him. So I think they, I think they killed him. That's what I think. Now, listen, and then it says, then they drug his body outside of the city. Wow, that's kind of unusual, right? Now, I love the next verse, right? Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, does that blow your mind? Listen, this thing escalated to where it got super violent. It got violent enough to where somebody died. And what did the disciples do? Hey, these guys haven't been believers very long. They've been believers maybe, maybe weeks, maybe hours. What did they do? They didn't run the other way. They didn't take off. What did they do? They went and they gathered around him. Don't you think they gathered around him to pray for him? Don't you think they gathered around and are praying? And here's my personal opinion. I think there's a person in that crowd. I think he's like 15 years old. And I think he's looking at Paul. And I think he's standing next to his mom and his grandmother little guy named Timmy. Hmm? And I think that affected that young man at that point. And what does it say, man? They gathered around him and then what? He rose up. Would that like freak you out? I think that would be the ultimate. I mean, if I ever was around a dead person and I was praying and they got up, I got to tell you, I would be a little bit freaked. I wouldn't just be going, well, that's sort of interesting. Huh. Maybe he was just mostly dead. Man, that had to be, listen, this had to be crazy time, right? People didn't get up all the time. And I think they thought he was dead. And listen, he rose up. Now, what do you do if somebody is so angry with you that they stone you? What are you going to do if you get up after you were stoned with rocks? What are you going to do? That was for Bisbee people, but listen. What are you going to do? What are you going to do after you get up? I'm going to leave, right? I'm going to get out of that. I'm going to say, adios, you know. I, what does Paul do? It says he got up and he went back into the city. Does that, like, that's crazy. Paul, where are you going? I, gotta, I, I wasn't done. They kind of interrupted me. I got to finish. Now listen, I, I, I used to believe, I used to believe, I, I kind of want to make Paul a superhero, you know, the, the guys. And, and I used to say that after they stoned him, they piled the rocks on and then the crowds around the rocks and then all of a sudden, you know, they're praying and then all of a sudden the arm pops out. And then another one. And then he stands up. But it says they drug his body outside. So I, I don't think that really happened. But that, that would be so cool, wouldn't it? And then he goes back into the city. Listen, he goes back into the city and finishes and spends the night there. Listen, it says, and early the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Hey, he was done in Lystra, and now it's time to go to Derby. That's not that far away. Again, I think I would be going further away than that. 
but he goes to Derby. So saints, when we're in ministry, here's what you need to know. There's some great, great times. And there's some awesome times. And then there's some really, really hard times. Difficult times. And all of us should be in ministry, whether we're ministering to our families, whether we're ministering in in an official ministry, but we're all in ministry. And there's those hard times, and then there's, man, there's the beautiful times where you could do ministry just all the time. And then there's times where it gets so bad, people want to kill you. Once again, read 2 Corinthians. Paul says, man, we were distraught. We didn't know what to do. I got I to be really honest. I think getting up after getting stoned with rocks, I think, listen, after getting up and doing that, I, I, think, I think I would be feeling real, a, little bit, a little bit shaky about doing any more ministry. I think I would be at the place where I'm not sure I want to keep. I would be definitely distraught and discouraged. And I would be feeling like, man, maybe I'm not where God wants me to be. Although I did get up after being stoned, so that did help. But saints... Again, I think the biggest obstacle to effective ministry is not persecution. Pride. Pride. We've got to fight that. We've got to work against that. And listen, I say that because sometimes as Christians we come across real prideful to others. Like, I got it and you don't. I don't think Paul and Barnabas ever preached that way. I think Paul and Barnabas were broken for the lost people around them. And we've got to guard against that. So listen, we've got to stand up against persecution. We've got to guard against pride. And then we're going to have effective ministry like what we're reading about here. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, I do thank you, God, for recording this for us and giving this to us. And I pray right now, I pray for... Myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing with me. God, number one, I do pray you would protect us.